G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. You know, the husband has all these expectations, the wife has all these expectations, and suddenly the husband doesn't meet the needs of the wife, and the wife doesn't meet the needs of the husband, and the husband says, well, this is not how it's meant to work. And so it goes from this amazing picture of, all my needs are going to be met, and, you know, it's just going to be fantastic, and everything's going to go wonderful, and then it starts to become a relationship of fear, and then, you know, eventually it's a bartering thing. Well, you want me to do that? Well, this is the cost of me doing that. And that is not a good foundation. As men, we would all like to be thought of as a good husband and father. But in today's confusing society, it's getting harder to know just what makes a good husband and father, and how does one go about becoming one? Well, on today's Focus on the Family Australia, once again, we'll be chatting with the founders of Bunch O' Blokes, Warren Mills and David Raitt. Together, they have created resources that help men develop and grow into healthy and fulfilled men in society. That's how to be a good husband and father, our topics on today's Focus on the Family, Australia, with Focus CEO, Brett Ryan. Well, welcome back to the program, Warren and David. Thanks, Brett. It's good to be back. I like this idea about developing, because we all need a little bit of help, especially in relationships. And so where do we start, David, about how do we develop healthy relationships? Oh, well, first of all, realizing that you need relationship, that we're not islands and that we can't thrive in life without having relationships and men in particular struggle in relationships they're not experts at it i don't think any of us are experts at it so yeah it's uh it's really important for us to stop and think are we happy with our relationships at the moment and can we do better are we happy with our marriage Maybe if we're not married, if I do get married, what kind of relationship do I want? Yeah, I don't think people go into relationships or into life thinking they want to do a bad job at being a bloke, at being mm. a husband, being a father. No. They just don't know how to do it. Probably they've had poor role modeling. Their family of origin has affected how they do things. Not always, but yes, sometimes. Yeah. And uh, at one stage there, I was a pastor of a church and we had a lot of young people and uh, they all started to grow up and then all of a sudden they started getting married. And I ended up doing about 70 weddings in two or three-year period. Wow. And every one of those, I determined that I was going to do premarital counseling. I was actually going to prepare these couples for marriage. And so I came with all these systems and that. And the thing that I found that was common to all these relationships that needed a lot of work was unrealistic expectations. Yeah. They all thought it was going to be easy and it was going to be natural. I mean, this is how they thought. Well... Okay, I'm going to get married, and uh, this is going to be fantastic, and this is the best thing ever, and all of my needs are going to be met by my partner. The woman would think that as well as the man, often. And they had different kinds of expectations about how their needs would be met. 
So they came into these relationships thinking everything was going to be fantastic. You know, the man came in thinking, well, sex on demand and whenever I want it. A woman would come in thinking, I've got somebody who's committed to me, who loves me, who's going to be there for me, who'll listen to me. We can be intimate together. We can have romance. And they had all these different expectations and they thought it was going to be ideal. And then reality comes. Well, then they get married. And I try to prepare them for this, that nobody can meet all your needs. But still, what I used to do was I always had follow-up. You know, a lot of people do marriage preparation i always had follow-up and that was where i did the most work <laughs> i'd say all right get married uh, three months later let's make an appointment you come back and tell me how it's going mm. and then i would track with them for about a year and you know the husband has all these expectations the wife has all these expectations and suddenly the husband doesn't meet the needs of the wife and the wife doesn't meet the needs of the husband and the husband says well this is not how it's meant to work and so uh the wife says well that's not how it's meant to work for me either so she withdraws she withdraws she knows what her husband's needs are, but she withdraws meeting those needs. And he knows what his wife's needs are. And so. Does he? Well, he knows that she wants to be listened to because that's what she's asking for. Mm-hmm. So he listens to her, but it's transactional. I'll listen to her because I want something. Mm. So it becomes then, rather than a relationship of love, it becomes a relationship of fear. The husband is doing things for the wife, not out of love, but because he fears she'll withdraw having the things that she can do for him. He won't get his needs met. She starts doing things for her husband because she wants him to do certain things for her, wants her needs met. And so it goes from this amazing picture of all my needs are going to be met and you know it's just going to be fantastic and everything's going to go wonderful. And then it starts to become a relationship of fear. And then you know, eventually it's a bartering thing. Well, you know, you want me to do that? Well, yeah, this is the cost of me doing that. And that is not a good foundation to build a relationship on. Yeah, that's more like a business transaction. It is. And then all that lovey-dovey from the honeymoon and the romance before just kind of goes out the window. Now, Warren, did you have any experiences of unrealistic expectations in your relationship? My word, (laughs) lots. The older I've gotten, the more I can express my intentionality clearly, especially in terms of the golden rule of treating others as you'd like to be treated. And I think what that means for me is taking the initiative to do the right thing. And so it's not just, as David puts it, a transactional thing, I'll do this, you can do that, in a sort of a quid pro quo arrangement. It's really thinking about what would my wife really appreciate? What would she enjoy? What would please her? What would satisfy her? And do that. Of course, the problem comes when you do that and you still don't get the the results you're looking for. Well, that's the challenge, right? Because what if you do all those things? Hey, I went the extra mile. I got the right restaurant, the one that she really likes. We had the music in the car, the music I know she really loves. I mean, I went the extra mile and I got all these things I know she Mm. likes, but yet I didn't get what I Mm. wanted. Mm. Are we big enough to say, hey, but I just love you because I love you, not because I'm trying to get something. Yeah, I think we've got to get to the place where we understand that, and this is the premise for a lot of the bunch of blokes, material and the uh, principles that we operate on and the things that we've seen transform lives and relationships, and certainly in marriages I've seen it transform from being a disastrous relationship to being one that has just lasted a long time and is full of love. And that is, applying the golden rule is do for others as you would have them do for you. It's not do for others as you would expect them to do for you. Mm. Do for others as you would have them do for you. So if you're in their situation, put yourself in their situation, you've got to get to this place where there's this deliberate, objective look at your partner or at your marriage and saying, 
if that was me, what would I want for me to do in that situation? Without any expectation, without any conditions. Mm. Yep, yep. That's the difference. So if you go out and you do all the right things and you say, well, it's because I love my wife, but then you have an expectation. Well, why didn't I get this reward? You are not actually applying the golden rule. As soon as you ask that question, you're back into transactional yeah, relationship. Right. Yep. Yep. As soon as you ask that question. And I think we keep learning throughout our whole relationship. I described the beginning, you know, where it's pretty obvious what's going on. It's very transactional. But even when you understand all that, it's still a learning experience. And recently my wife, she had to share at a women's gathering and she was talking about marriage and relationships. And through the day she was actually looking at some bunch of blokes' material and she was looking at the golden rule. And she thought, you know what? I occasionally tell this story about David and how he said something which was just careless, thoughtless, and dismissive. So it kind of put you in an unfavorable light? Yeah, it did. And she said, you know what? If I was David, I wouldn't want people to know that story. And so I should apply the golden rule here. I should never tell that story again. So when she went to that night, she said, you know, there's a story I tell about David sometimes, and I realized that it actually is demeaning. And yeah, sure, he said some silly things. and But you know what? I realized that I should apply the golden rule. And so I'm never going to tell that story again. And then she said, I bet all of you want to know what that story is. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, but I have actually made a commitment to God that I will never tell that story again. And I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to tell my husband I'll never tell that story again. Now, she came home and she shared that. And I said, well, you know what? I've never told you this. But when we're in mixed company and you start that story, I start to cringe. And I've never told you that. And I really appreciate it that you understand that and that you would do that just as another example of how much you love me. And it. So, you know, and that's I'm, I'm telling you a story about Jenny and it's her experience. So I've got other stories where <laughs> I've realized and I've had to say to her, you know what, I, I've been doing that for so long. Why have you told me? I just realized by putting myself in your place, that's mm. just, why didn't you tell me that? She said, oh, I didn't think it was a big enough thing to make an issue of it. But it is an issue. And we continue to learn. All right, now that might seem like a little thing, but mm-hmm. we've got to continue to apply this. And it's how we get a richness to our marriage and a depth to our marriage and an intimacy to our marriage that is unobtainable any other way. So really what we're saying is this mentality that we all do, not just men and women, this give to get. We have to take it out of the equation, take away out out of the motivations, You know, have pure motivations to do it because it is the right thing, as you said, Warren, and actually do it because we want to serve, we want to love. And if we do get rewards, then that's a bonus, but that's not our ultimate motivation. That's right. I I think one of the things that continues to occur to me is that this whole thing about relationship is imperfect. And what do you do when you've done the right thing, at least you think you do, and you still don't get the result? Well, David's got a term he uses that sticks in my mind. He says, men have got to be prepared to take a hit. And I think that that's a very, very important insight that men in their supposed toughness and resilience need to be conscious enough and intentional enough that when they see things not working out as they should, that they say to themselves, okay, I can take it because I've been in that situation. We're talking to David Raitt and Warren Mills. They are the founders of Bunch of Blokes, and they have many resources on how men can develop and grow as husbands and fathers. We're going to take a break and return to this conversation, focusing next on how to be a good father. That's Mm. coming up next right here on Focus on the Family, Australia. 
The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. Here at Focus, we love to hear from listeners. It is really encouraging. So we invite you to give us a call or email us to let us know how Focus has helped you or your family. Our telephone is 1300 300 361. That's 1300 300 361. Or if you'd like, you can send us an email and tell us your story at response at families.org.au. That's response at families.org.au. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to Focus on the Family Australia, where today we're talking to the founders of Bunch O Blokes, David Rate and Warren Mills, and we're talking about how to be a good husband and father. Before the break, we talked about how to be a good husband, and now we're moving on to how to be a good father. Often we identify sort of five languages of love. Gary Chapman wrote the book, Languages of Love, and one of the things that often comes up for a kid is... Their language of love is T-I-M-E. That's how they spell it. Mm. Time is a valuable commodity. Yeah, uh, look, um, I think, in my experience, quality time means availability first and also then means quantity. So I'll give you an example of that with my daughter, Belinda, and she's okay with me sharing this. I've written this story in a book and it's one of the Bunch of Blokes guides about how to be a good father, but... There was a stage in her life when she was in her mid-teens where she was making a lot of choices that my wife Jenny and I were not happy about. And she was uh, being rebellious and she'd yell at us saying, you don't understand anything about my life and slam the door and, and didn't turn up at home when she was meant to. And we were having a lot of challenges with her and we were getting more and more distance and we were really worried about her. But uh, anyway, one morning... Jenny had gone up to try and get her out of bed to go to school and she came back and she said, look, Jenny was a teacher, she was actually a preschool director, so she had to go. And She said, I can't get her out of bed and get her to school. I've got to go. You go and deal with it. <laughs> Handball it over to you. Yeah, hang a minute. No, this is not. So I had to deal with it. So I go up and I say to Belinda, Belinda, you know, you need to get out of bed and go to school. And in a moment of honesty, she said, Dad, it's not that I won't get out of bed. It's that I can't. I just feel so sick and i just lack energy i just you know i just physically can't get up anymore and go to school and i said really well tell me more about that and so she started sharing some of these things that were going on for her and and uh we didn't know because we were pretty distant from her you know and we just see her less and less engaged and lethargic and not you know doing things and i said oh wow this is no good. I'm not, why haven't you shared this with her? Well, you know, never want to listen to me anyway. I go, okay, well, yeah, that's probably right. I don't listen to you enough. And here's the situation. I was a national director of a large organisation. I'd organised for all these people to fly in that day for a three-day meeting. And she knew that. I said, oh, look, I, I, Belinda, I, I really need to go to the office. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. But I guess it was what I call a God moment. I think something beyond me said, you need to deal with this. So I just said to her, you know what? I'm going to call my office. I'm going to tell them I'm not coming in. I'm going to ask one of my other staff to deal with these people who have all flown in. And, and I'm actually going to ask them, if they can't deal with it, send them home. Because we need to get to the bottom of what's going on with you. 
and I'm going to take you to the doctor, and we're going to keep working on this until we find out a solution. Now, it took me three days. We went to the doctor, and they sent us off for tests and blood tests and this and everything, and I just kept pushing for answers and pushing for answers, and three or four days later, we got an answer. And she was suffering from post-viral syndrome or chronic fatigue, and uh, they found the virus, and you know, anyway, we were able to get on top of that. You know what? That transformed our relationship. Hmm. She started to engage with us again, and her whole life turned around. She started going to school and turning up, and she she started engaging with us to a degree where she would tell us stuff that I was surprised. And so, you know, as a father, we can't say to our kids, look, we want to have quality time with you, and I want to be there for you when you're going to have a crisis. <laughs> and actually, I have some time on, <laughs> on Thursday night from 7.30 to 9.30 next week. And yes. I want you to schedule your crisis for then. So, I mean, it's just silly, isn't it? Hmm. So for me, being a good father has been available when your kids really need you. Now, you can't be available all the time. They can't run your life. But you've got to be available when they really need you. And they need to know that they are, that a they are an absolute priority. <clears throat> yep, and yep. when they need you, you're going to be there for them. And that transformed our relationship. And I've seen it transform other people's hmm. relationships. Very much so. This uh, idea of really modeling love... And giving the love that they need, that attention is really important. It's listening in the midst of all of the other noise of life. And um, there was an incident with my youngest daughter when she was about 12 and she and I were driving somewhere. And um, I was expounding some theory as I'm inclined to do. And she, <laughs> said, she said to me, she said, Dad, you're lecturous. <laughs> and I thought, what? And she said, yes, you lecture people all the time. And so that was just a funny incident, but it's something that I've reflected on a lot, that it was her interpreting me. And so through her, I need to interpret myself. And there's been some other very significant moments when my kids have said things to me that have been deeply meaningful and my eldest daughter once told me that I was harsh and she was absolutely correct and that was one of the best lessons I've ever had about not being harsh and not winning a point for the sake of winning the point and backing off and taking it on the chin as we mentioned before. Another one was uh, we need to listen to our kids, of course, but there's another voice that we can hear. If we're really sensitive, if we're really tuned in, we can actually hear what God says. And uh, there's been a couple of instances when this has happened too. I remember when my son was about 14 or 15, I had this really intense desire to go away into the desert and to contemplate and enjoy nature. And of course, I couldn't do that without taking him. So I took him and some of his mates and uh, we established a bit of a, an annual routine of going up and camping on the Murray at a place called Ned's Corner. And it was just the most absolutely sublime situation, camped on the river, catching fish, building enormous fires. It was just completely wonderful. And my son for years would look back on that situation as being so significant in our relationship. And he said to me years later that uh, I was the most important person in his life and so it was a bit of an overstatement, and of course he's since become married and 
there's other people that are more important to him, <laughs> which is a bit of a bit of a lesson. But uh, so I think this this thing about listening to, of course, to our wife, but to our kids. But then there's another voice that comes when our hearts are in the right place, when we're wanting answers, and often it's those still small voices that make the difference. So. You- if I'm understanding you correctly, if we want to be better husbands and fathers, listening is a big part of that. Yeah. And I would have to say that, you know, recently I was watching a video that was going through all the characteristics of a, a good husband. Mm. And one by one, I'm thinking, yeah, tick that box. I got that one, got that one. But then it got to listening. And I'm like, oops, <laughs> that's because that's like my weakness. I mean, listening. And I, I don't think I'm alone. I think a number of guys struggle in this area. Mm. What do you think? Oh, particularly when it comes to your kids. As I said, we we all seem to be busy. You know, you ask people how they are today, and they say, oh, I'm busy. And that seems to be the standard answer. Life is so full that the way that we deal with stuff is not take time, you know. And, and we come in, we see our kids doing something, and we want to let them know how they're meant to perform and behave. And so we tell them all the time. We tell them, tell them, tell them, yes, is it? You mean this we become lecturous? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, lecturous is a great word. I mean, we're going to add that to the dictionary, aren't we? Le- lecturous as opposed to lecturous. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that's a tendency, and it's because of the time constraints. It's, you know, often selfishness. I want to get on with other parts of my life. And I think that's a really important principle mm. is entering into our kids' world. A lot of parents will say, my kids don't listen to me, and I'll always mm. ask them, are you listening to them? Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's right. I think, too, that the other thing that we overlook, of course, we need to listen and we need to engage, all that stuff. But what we should not expect is that there's a momentous event that fixes everything. Mm. What there is, I think, is it's like building a, a wall. It's brick by brick, and you've got to put some bricks in the wall every day. Kids thrive when they know when their foundation at home is secure. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And mentioning that aspect of being a good role model, do you have any comments about that? Well, you know, there's this old saying, uh, what's the best thing you can do for your kids? Love their mother. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's really important that you're modelling love and that you're working on the relationship with your wife, that the kids know that that's a priority. You know, we used to do sometimes things we used to do. We'd get someone to babysit the kids so that Jenny and I could go out. And, you know, they saw that. They saw that that was a priority. And, and the things that you're doing in that relationship are going to be the models that they build their lives on. And when they get into relationships later on, that's their model, the only model really that we've got for healthy relationships. And kids love the yucky love stuff. They might say, you know, don't yeah, do that. Yeah. But they actually feel really quite, <laughs> yeah, they like yeah. it because they want to go and do it in their oh, relationships. Oh, absolutely. I'd come in and give my wife a big cuddle and a really big smooch and my son would go, oh, dad, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, But you know, deep down, they, they love it. Yeah. And uh, they love that there's affection in the home. And when they come in and you're not in a battle with your wife and you're not wrestling in your marriage and trying to score points when they come in and they see you loving each other they feel secure yeah i can remember that my mum and dad had a really excellent relationship and i can never ever remember them having a serious fight so that was the model for me and when i found myself in a a fight with my wife at a later time i knew that it wasn't how i wanted to be and so 
I learned not to avoid fights, but to engage fairly. So I think um, the idea of fighting fair is very important. I also think that to be consistently affectionate is important. Yeah, it is very important. Um, My daughter-in-law, my son's wife, she said to us some time ago, she said, you two seem to really like each other. (laughs) It was a great compliment. Well, thank you, Warren, and thank you, David, for coming in today and sharing some of these pearls of wisdom to help fathers and husbands be the best they possibly can be. Thank you once again. Well, thanks for having us. Our guests today have been the founders of Bunch of Blokes, David Rate and Warren Mills. And if you'd like more information or to take some of their courses, you can sign up at their website, bunchoblokes.org. That's bunch O, the letter O, blokes.org. Well, we trust you've been encouraged by what you've heard on today's Focus on the Family Australia. For more family advice or to listen again online, our website is families.org.au. And if you'd like to order a copy of today's program, you can give us a call on 1300 300 361. That's 1300 300 361. On behalf of the team here at Focus, I'm Brett Ryan, wishing you God's blessing on your family and inviting you to join us again next time for another edition of Focus on the Family Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.